There are Sundays when after the song, right before the sermon, it feels like you could say, we're good. Let's go. We've come and seen. Let's go and tell based on that last song. You ought to go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is our third week in a series, what I'm calling the Essential Series. I anticipate this will go right through the end of October. This is a two-part message on worship, the church's work as a holy priesthood, and then We'll have more messages on nurture our life together and living out the one another's, and then on mission. And what we're essentially answering or asking is why do we exist? Why is it we gather? If the Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath and we come together And in fact, when we join as a church, even as we'll have three join us in the next couple of weeks between Stephen and Kendall and Seth, and membership matters, one of the things that's part of that covenantally is that we come together. It's not like we join something of which that's anonymous. We, We come together, we gather, we see each other's faces We know each other's names. We can identify one another's voices. And hopefully we're learning to have this affection for one another as Paul speaks of that he had for the church at Philippi. We're we're actually helping one another grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're answering the question, why do we exist? Why do we gather? What, after all, is our purpose as a church. So I want to invite you to come with me in your mind for a moment to an imagination station. All right? I want you to come into an imaginary world for a moment. It's much easier for children. Us sometimes boring adults are just way too burdened with budgets and schedules and to-do lists. And I think it's helpful if we can come to an imagination station for a moment. Think for me what a world would be like without blue skies or pillowy clouds like bright green grass, a rising sun this morning and tomorrow morning and every morning after from the east and beautiful sunset and sometimes a multi-hued sunset to the west day after day after day where the sun sets and says night has begun just like the one this morning said the day has begun. Maybe full moons, twinkling stars and starry nights, those first frosty mornings. Like when I was a freshman at Clemson, I'll always remember October 13th, 1979, the first frost I ever experienced. Maybe late February daffodils, those first 
yellow flowers that tell you that spring is right around the corner or the first couple of weeks in April when the azaleas and the dogwoods and everything is blooming and in full bloom. Or you think of the towering forests across our nation or even expansive oceans like when you saw the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific maybe for the first time and you can't believe that there's actually no end in sight. Maybe unending deserts as far as the eye can see. Or you see your first fall and you understand like our driveway now is getting littered with acorns because that that oak tree is starting to drop. They're falling or much, much better red and yellow and brown and golden leaves or a ginkgo tree that in the last few days of October will go from green to yellow and in a matter of a couple days drop all its leaves. What would a world be like with no flowing, tumbling, or running rivers, scrambling squirrels, flittering butterflies, or chirping birds? You really can't imagine it because that's the world you've known and you wouldn't want to. And it's the same with worship. Did you know that you were made to worship? Like I know sometimes people in a way that doesn't sound very authentic can say like you were made for this. You know like you're giving your eight-year-old a pat. Like you can score a goal in this soccer game. You were made to score goals when really uh, they weren't. Like maybe they're better at the back line in defense. But the truth is you and I were made to worship. You were made a worshiper. It's not a question whether you will worship, but rather who and how you will worship. You were made for worship. You were made to worship, and the church, brothers and sisters, was redeemed for worship. And so thus, every Christian is redeemed for a life of constant, and to borrow from Dr. John Piper, white-hot, God-exalting, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, joyful worship. And every bit of it directed by his word. Our text from Peter's first letter, if you'll turn there, if you're there already, that's great. First Peter chapter 2 and from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, all support this priority of worship. Some of you know John Piper's quote that we'll consider here in the month of October when he says, missions exist because worship does not. The Bible supports this priority of worship, and we're redeemed for that. Often I've quoted from Dr. Edmund P. Clowney in his book, The Church, where he said this, He said the church is called to serve God in three ways. To serve him directly in worship, to serve the saints in nurture, and to serve the world in witness or missions. It's not a complicated calling. I didn't say it wasn't easy. I didn't say it was easy, but it's not complex. By upward orientation, we serve him through worship. By horizontal orientation, we serve one another and nurture, living out all the one another commands of the New Testament. And it's why Paul says it's complete madness to say you love God when you don't what? Love your brother or sister. Okay? 
They're connected. And I don't care if you call it a solid line or a dash line, we're connected. But not only is there this vertical orientation of serving God directly in worship and one another horizontally in nurture, but by outward then orientation of focus, we serve the world and witness. We give the invitation to come and see, come and taste the goodness of God, but also we go and tell. We saddle up our pony and we go and tell. We go to the hard and faraway places of the world And not just far away, but near. We begin to think about how we bring the gospel to our neighbor, to those that live in the chimneys, that live in that neighborhood. We do that. Upward, horizontal, outward, all of these. And so this morning as we think of worship, what you and I were made to worship, that the church was redeemed for worship, I want us to see in a simple outline that first, as a holy priesthood, we were built for spiritual sacrifices. And so if you're taking notes, here's the three points. From 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, as a holy priesthood, and then I, I call it spiritual house, we were built for spiritual Sacrifices. Fundamentally, we were not built to receive, but ultimately, you might say, to give. Secondly, as a royal priesthood or holy nation, we are commissioned to proclaim his excellencies. You see that in verses 9 and 10 of the same chapter. And then thirdly, which will be where we'll expand to, particularly in the second part of this sermon which will be two weeks from tonight on the 24th, taking from Edmund Clowney's, and something I used several years ago is, as the glory of God attracts worship, so the will of God directs worship. All right? So three points. As a holy priesthood, we were built for spiritual sacrifices. And naturally connecting the priesthood to sacrifice. That makes sense, okay? Secondly, though, as a royal priesthood... We are commissioned to proclaim his excellencies. Those two are from our text in 1 Peter 2. And then thirdly, as the glory of God attracts worship, so the will of God directs worship. That's directly from Edmund Clowney. All right? So first, let's see that as a holy priesthood or spiritual house, we were built, we are built for spiritual sacrifices. Look there again. Peter says, as you come to him, 1 Peter 2, verse 4, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And for a moment, as you think of a spiritual house, consider the context of Peter's letter. Remember, he's writing to exiles, to the diaspora. That's just the Greek word for those who are dispersed. And he mentions where they are there in verse 1. To, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing to a group 
that is scattered more than they are gathered. And here Peter reminds them that God is building something with them. He's uniting them by faith, that is, they are coming to him. Look, verse 4, he says, as you come to him, they're coming to him, Jesus. They're coming to this one, the, the, the Christ of verse 19, the lamb that was without blemish or spot, the one, verse 20 of chapter 1, who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, Peter says, but it was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are now believers in God. And so in coming to him by faith, they're also then coming together as a worshiping community. And they're literally living stones. Now kids, I don't know about you, but nothing seems more dead, nothing seems more cold, more inanimate to me than a pile of rocks. Does anyone feel that way? If you ever have to move a pile of rocks, that's very, very different, for example, than picking up a living roach or something like that. And I know some of you are like, could you not have used another illustration? Okay. But the point is, this is like an oxymoron, a living stone. Those things don't seem to go together. But he says, we as the church, here he's writing through these exiles, you're living stones, and you're not just sitting there. He says, God is gathering you up, and he's building, he's putting together a spiritual house, not simply to be seen and admired like something in Southern living, but he says, he is taking you as living stones and so now, I've never thought of this, I feel like I'm looking out at a pile, a group, a conglomeration of living stones. But God, he says, is building you up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood for this purpose. And it makes sense, we understand this, even from our series in the book of Exodus. He's building you up, taking living stones, building you up into a living house, creating, creating this holy priesthood. That's an important adjective, holy, for this purpose. To bring, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And those last three words are very critical. Because it's Peter, it's, Tim, it's, it's Paul who affirms to Timothy that there is one mediator between God and man, the Christ, the Christ Jesus. Turn with me for a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 2, a verse, verses I'm sure you're familiar with, but I want you to see this. In chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, verse 5, Paul says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There's no bringing, there's no offering from us, the living stones that make up this spiritual house, God's holy priesthood, 
without the mediatorial work to make acceptable the sacrifices that we bring to him. Think about this just for a moment. There's never, for you and me as a Christian, there's never a moment where we pray, where we hear the word, where we respond in faith or repentance to God's word and to the gospel. There's never a moment where someone undergoes the waters of baptism or receives the cup or the bread that's acceptable that's ever accepted apart from the person and work of Jesus. And that's really good news. But it's only through him. Okay. And when you read this, and you recognize you're a living stone if you're a Christian, and you're part of a group, a body that's made into a spiritual house, built upon Christ the cornerstone And the apostles, as we read about in Ephesians 2, the prophets, the apostles and prophets is the foundation built on Christ as the cornerstone to be the spiritual house. It signifies way more than a building, way more and something altogether different than bricks and mortar. Because we could have the most beautiful building, new carpet as we've gotten in the last couple of weeks, new paint as we've gotten in the last month, a renovated sanctuary that basically we've just hit two years right now since September of 2021. We could have all that. But we may miss this, that God has put us together as living stones to make a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood for this purpose. To do what priests do, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, mediated, made acceptable through Jesus Christ. And the writer of the book is writing something very similar that I'd like to read for us without comment. If you'll turn just to the left to Hebrews 13. I won't comment as Pastor Jamie will preach on this, but I want you to see how this sounds very similar. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, near the end of the book, he's, he's actually calling his readers to respond to the yesterday, today, forever, same Jesus Christ. As we behold him by faith, this is our response then. This is the exhortation, verse 15, chapter 13. Through him, hmm, that sounds like the end of 1 Peter 2, 5, through him Then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And he goes on to say, not only does it look like this, not only sharing thanks and praise in this vertical orientation of worship to God, but it looks like this to one another, to brothers and sisters. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So I have an application real quickly for parents and families. By your conversation Monday through Saturday, by your Deuteronomy 6 getting up in the morning, going on the way, 
your conversation, your prayers, your times around the word, are you cultivating this gratitude to God that will then make gratitude and the offering of spiritual sacrifices that look like sacrifices of praise to God, Hebrews 13, 15, and lips that acknowledge his name? Are you cultivating over six days, Monday through Saturday, a heart of gratitude and praise that will make it natural or bend your heart, your children's hearts towards this sense of God you are so good. You really have dealt with me in a way that I never deserve. And please let me then respond with patience to my brothers and sisters and to express gratitude and acknowledgement of their gifts and how God is at work in them. Do you do that? That's my question. As a holy priesthood, as a spiritual house, we were built for spiritual sacrifices. There's a second point I want us to see in verses 9 and 10 particularly. As a royal priesthood, you'll notice a little different word here. First, holy priesthood, verse 5. But now, royal priesthood and verse 9. As a royal priesthood, we are commissioned to proclaim His excellencies. And I don't know about you, but when you think of the priesthood, it's far more natural to think of the, this priestly function of receiving these offerings, like from the children of Israel, as we've seen in the book of, Israel, in the book of Exodus, receiving those offerings in the whole kind of sacrificial economy industry there in the temple with blood and fur and skin and organs and meat and fire and all of that with the bronze altar and coming into uh, the tent of meeting and through that first section and then knowing that beyond that veil is that second. But there's all that. There's like this receiving of the offering of the people of God. But you don't tend to think so much about a role of proclamation. But here in verses 9 and 10, there's more. There's not simply the offering of spiritual sacrifices, but there's proclamation. But you are, we read in verse 9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, he says, quoting from Hosea 1, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Think about it for a moment. Praise, verses 4 and 5, proclamation, verses 9 and 10. It's not enough to delight in him. Our delight in him and for him leads us and moves us to declare his excellencies. Now, some of you relate better to this. You would say of these love languages, and you hear about verbal affirmation. Some of you, it's like falling out of bed to be verbally encouraging. For others of you, 
Like, that's just not natural. We get that. Maybe you're a gift giver. Maybe you're a quality time person. Maybe you're acts of service. Maybe you're like physical affection. But there's something here in 1 Peter 2 that's inviting us to cultivate as worshipers, as part of living out this royal priesthood, that we are those going out, saying, opening our mouth, and proclaiming the greatness and goodness and the excellencies of God. We will not keep silent. And when you're conscious, truly conscious, that he rescued you out of darkness into his marvelous light, you're going to want to fulfill the purpose for which he has included you in a chosen race. You will want to fulfill the purpose for why he brought you into his royal priesthood. And you will want to fulfill the purpose for why he has added you to a people that has M-I-N-E, mine, engraved upon. I want to illustrate this just for a moment. Think about light for a second. Light is like water. Light is great when you want it and awful when you don't. Does that make sense? It's like water. Water is great when you're thirsty. But when you have three inches of water in your living room because you have a busted pipe, that's an unhappy moment. So recently we were on the road and we were, let's just say with someone in our extended family. And um, in the hall, we were spending the night and I went into the hall bathroom, the bathroom that Cheryl and I were using. And there was no like subtle light for in the middle of the night. When you hit the only light on, there were three lights above the vanity. And I literally thought that I was at a concert and I was the main act, okay? It, so this is like two in the morning when you got to go to the restroom, right? And the, the light was blinding, completely annoying. It's the type, it was so bad that you want to go to the bathroom in darkness. It was that bad, okay? I thought, I think I'd rather just... Hope this works out. Okay. It was annoying. But to be more serious for a moment, when you're conscious, when you're truly conscious that God has rescued you out of darkness, not into an annoying in-your-face light, but to in, into what Peter calls his marvelous light. You want to fulfill the purpose for which he has included you in his chosen race as his treasured possession, as a holy nation, as a people for his own possession. It was eight years ago this month in response to their daughter that Bob and Kathy Self moved from here to Atlanta, Georgia because daughter charity said, Dad, this was it. This was the pitch. Dad, why don't you and mom come and bring the love and light and life of Jesus to our part of Atlanta? Yeah. Why don't we worship well? Why don't we worship with full joyful hearts? I think because we've lost sight that he's rescued us out of complete, utter hopeless darkness and we forgot where God 
has brought us. There's a third thing I want us to see, and that is this. is the glory of God attracts worship, so the will of God directs worship. That's directly from Edmund Clowney. I don't think you can say that's as he focuses in on that God calls us to serve him directly in worship. It's this, the glory of God attracts worship, the will of God directs worship. And he says this in speaking about how God's glory attracts our worship. And I quote him. He says, in worship, even Now, while here on earth, we join the saints and angels in the festival of glory. And he's speaking here, Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 29. He says, because we gather with Jesus there, from Hebrews 12, we are exhorted to gather with him here, Hebrews 10, 19 and 25. Right? Because we gather with Jesus there, we are exhorted to gather with him here. Now, listen to this carefully. Dr. Clowney says, God's assembly stands in his presence. To be the assembly, that is to be the church, is to worship God together. And to say that God made us in his image is to say that God made us for himself and that he made us to worship him. It sounds like something that Augustine had said in his confessions. God, God, Lord, you've made us for ourselves and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And he goes on to say, worship is not an imaginative capacity capable of projecting a satisfactory vanishing point for a religious emotion. But neither, neither worship nor religion can be defined apart from. All right? And he goes on to say this, God apart from God. And he goes on to say this. Worship is the response of the creature to the revealed glory of the creator. Let me read this again. Worship is the response of the creature to the revealed glory of the creator. Why are we not excited about gathering for worship? Why do we struggle to have times of private worship? I think it's because We fail to see, we fail to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We fail to see the revealed glory of the creator in his word. And he goes on to say, the transcendent glory of God draws worship. But in the final analysis, it's the will of God and God's will alone that must direct our worship. So the glory of God attracts our worship, but it's the will of God that will direct our worship. Well, we'll speak more to this in two weeks on Sunday night, the 24th. We have an ordered freedom then in worship, but the elements of worship are given to us in his word. Do we have liberty with the elements? We do insofar as the use is regulated in his word, and we can adjust the circumstances of worship but we do not essentially subtract from the essential elements. And think about this just for a moment. Think about all the elements we've ever had of worship in our gathering. The reading of the word, the preaching of the word, even the reciting of the word like for the month of September, our memory verses in Hebrews 11, 1, 2, and 6. The corporate singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Prayer. 
even the time of pastoral prayer, the reciting of confessions and creeds, the giving of our tithes and offerings. It's not to take the money that you've worked to earn that God has entrusted to you and to put that in the form of a check or cash or do it online and go over to that box and drop that money in there is not simply burning 1.2 calories from here to there or a mechanical act. That's an element, brothers and sisters, of worship, of worship. Even the baptism of new converts the regular remembrance and proclamation of our Lord's death by the observance of communion. These are all the essential elements of worship. And our goal is always joyful, constant, God-exalting, Christ-focused, Spirit-filled, biblically-directed worship. And we'll, we'll have more on this in two weeks. But I'll ask you a question. If you're honest and someone asked you, like, why do you go to church? Why do you come? Is it to check a box? Is it just, is it simply, hey, I'm lonely? Is it, well, that's what I agreed to when I joined the church? Or do you savor this? Do you relate to those words in the psalm when David says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good? Do you want to taste and see that he is good? And not simply by yourself, but with your brothers and sisters. Let's turn. I want just to direct your attention to a passage that we read earlier from Ephesians 5. And I want to finish on this. Actually, Wesley you and your team can make your way up here while I read this. It's fine. When Paul uses the metaphor of walk in Ephesians 4 and 5, one of the last ways he uses in talking about walking is to not walk as those who are unwise, but as wise. Understanding the time. Not being drunk, but being filled with the Spirit. You know what's amazing you know this single illustration he gives for walking filled with the Spirit is this corporate mutual singing to one another and singing with one another, he says, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Doing this, singing and making melody, he says, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Did you know this? Did you know that Paul's call, his illustration of living out life filled with the Spirit, is corporate worship? Let's do that one more time.